you need to back the fuck up. Before <laughs> That's I what knock Jesus you out. said. He said, back the fuck up before <laughs> I knock you out, Peter or Timothy or whoever you are. Thomas, whoever it was. He couldn't even I remember. Even no, I'm just, I know. He was so drunk. <laughs> The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. Like maybe people, everyone hates their job or not really, but like you kind of always borderline hate your job. And so you're, I think everyone's always having this internal conversation. Like I'm going to fucking quit. I hate this job. I'm never do like, why do I even do this? I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do my own thing. And then you have like a meeting or someone like gives you a little raise or something. You're like, you know what? I could do this. This is fine. Everything's fine. I'll just keep going to work every day and it'll be fine. And like, I feel like that's kind of what our conversation is doing in a way. It's like, yeah, you're motivational. Got to keep going, get along, go along and get along. And then also like, okay, so we were thinking about pipe bombs. And... <laughs> have you heard about the anthrax yeah. letters? There was a reason we talked about anthrax already. Yeah, <laughs> We're going this Something's emerging here. Oh my god! No, but uh, yeah, it's just interesting to me that that's what we keep. No, well, it's definitely top of mind for me recently. But yeah, we need to. But I don't even have a job. I mean, technically, <laughs> so it's it's alarming. Like it's alarming <laughs> that I don't have a job. It's alarming that I keep just like let let me talk about work for a while since I don't do it. Oh my god! Yeah, it's weird. I do work. I work a lot. I'm very busy all the time. <laughs> Nice excuse. Hmm. Yeah, I'm very busy. Yeah, sorry. You'll have to find some time on my calendar, like maybe next month. Yeah, I mean, I know I say this, and I have said this already, but it's hard, man, to like self motivate for no money. You know, especially because it's easy to like, even if it's a shitty excuse. At least you can like tell yourself like I'm getting paid to do this, whatever job I'm doing, you know. So I might as well do it, you know. Yeah. When you're not getting paid, the slippery slope. It's difficult, man. To like, I also maybe this is part of it. I, whatever, who cares? We don't have a topic. This is fine. Let's talk about work. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's but keep going. This of, is our four-part series on work. Yeah, exactly. But there is a piece of me that I can't decide, like. If I'm really effective or if I'm completely ineffectual and I'll listen, I've been listening. I usually don't surprisingly listen to Joe Rogan's podcast mm. because the, I don't know. I just don't something about it. Sometimes I listen, I'll listen for like exclusive potential, like, you know, mm. guests that I think are going to be interesting or that I already know. And uh, apparently he does kind of get into I don't know, motivational kind of stuff. And some of it just comes from like his oh, story, yeah. He's you like know, that. yeah, you know, yeah, you know, gotta work hard, gotta get an ice bag, gotta try DMT. Yeah. Uh, you gotta exercise every day, do a little bit, get that dopamine yeah. going. Yeah. He's or very motivated. I recently heard him talk about how he was poor too when he was growing up and now he's worth, I mean, ungodly Millions, amounts yeah. of money. I mean, his contracts from Spotify was like $80 million or something. So he's worth, a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a hundred million. But anyway, yeah. Well, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's that's just one contract. Yeah. So, <laughs> and he's been rich since Fear Factor. So, you know, uh, 
And you, so he said something recently. He was like, I can't, I just can't lay around and do nothing. You know, like I can't relax. I got to like, even if I'm on vacation, you know, I got to like run, do some exercises. You know, I got to get up really early, you know, because I can't waste the whole vacation exercise. And so I got to get up, man, do some exercise. Oh, interesting. And I'm like, God, you're annoying. People like that are annoying. But I, I also get it. I'm not really that annoyed by it. I, I will say there is something annoying about it for sure. We're not going to talk about it because I actually have a lot of thoughts on that, like deep, deep psychological thoughts that are like psychosexual, like all sorts of weird things that cause people to do that kind of behavior. Well, now we got to talk about it. I know it seems very interesting, but it's only interesting because I said psychosexual. I think the reason it's, there's so much in me about it is because I've maybe I've kind of been there a little bit. My experience with it might have been unhealthy. Uh, and it being like this, like go, go, go being that guy, you know, like mm. I used to get up really like four or five in the morning and just run, you know, and it wasn't always because I couldn't breathe. Although that was a motivating factor because I would sometimes naturally wake up because I was suffocating and I'm like, well, I can't breathe anyways. Might as well. Well, anyways, Joe Rogan. Let's shit on Joe Rogan. His podcast isn't as good as ours. Exactly. So stop listening to it. And uh, also, it's very annoying that I pay for Spotify. I pay them money, literally, to not have to listen to ads. And now they have this thing where you have ads on podcasts. And so now what you're paying for is not to not hear ads. You're paying to be able to skip through the ads, which is disgusting. It is disgusting. And I hate that company. And I hate any company that will do that. And I hate podcasters that allow that because it's such a scam. Because I'm already paying an ungodly amount of money to listen to your stupid streaming network. Anyway, so I'm like building that mushroom laboratory and I'm making a lot of progress. And one day I made a pretty good progress, more than I thought, on building these cabinet bases. It's just the thing that your countertop sits on. And it seems easy. Like, that's a simple thing. Well, it's not that simple. It is simple-ish. But it's actually a little bit more involved. There's a lot of thinking that has to go into it because of dimensions and nothing. nothing's ever perfectly square. The types of hinging that you'll actually end up putting on, all of those things are like based on like angles and stuff. So like if the doors meet, if there's a gap between them, if it's trimmed out, if it's not, you need a 72 degree hinge or a 68 degree hinge or maybe you need 110 with an in bevel, you know, like all this crazy stuff. I'm like, I don't know any of this. And I stood, I literally, I think I just stood around kind of like pacing the yard and I would like measure the space and I would just kind of walk around. I would look around and I'd be like, what do I have material wise? Hmm. Okay. And then I would like, just go back and I'd measure it again. I'm like, okay, 25, 25 inches. I just walk around saying 25 and a half, 25 and a half to myself for like an hour. You I just, just look like a psycho. Nothing. nothing. I'm doing nothing. And then I'd be, I'd like get distracted and I'm like, I think I'm going to weed the garden. Because we just got all these onions and I got to plant them. So I spent like an hour doing that. And I was like, okay, that was a waste of time. I think I'm going to start working on these counters now. Then I finally did. And I actually made good progress that day, all things considered. But I felt like a piece of shit. Because like, it took me 
till like noon or worse, you know, to get going. And I'm like, so if I worked for somebody, I'd be fired. Cause I just walked around until like 1130 <laughs> going 25 and a half, 25 and a half. What am I going to use? Do I have wood that long? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? I don't know. Should I just buy these things? Oh, I'm going to go look it up on YouTube. Oh, I want to look at, maybe they've got it at Home Depot. I'm going to see if Home Depot, you know, just like this. I don't know if that's normal behavior or if I'm like have a pathology, but uh, my conclusion is self-motivation is freaking hard, man. It's hard. Like yesterday, I did some of that. And then randomly, I just get in the 4x4, four four, or as we call them, the side-by-side. Side. It's a golf cart with a loud engine that can pretty much go anywhere. And I hooked up this like little trailer, and I drove it through like the neighbor's woods and stuff around the back came back into my own property, shoveled up all this dirt, drove back around out of it. I mean, it was like treacherous. Anyway, and then I stood back. I'm like, I did a lot of things today. Or did I? I don't know. You know? Well, I think a lot of people struggle with self-motivation. One. I, think I don't even two, know if I'm doing a good or bad job, though. Like, I'm like, do I even, I don't even know. I'm like, do I struggle with self-motivation? Or did I do a lot? When you do harder stuff, do you do less of it? Or because part of me is what I'm thinking internally is like, if I would just woken up at whatever time, even if I woke up at nine and just got started. I mean, I woke up way earlier. I should, and I've done that before. And I'm like, holy shit, I did a lot, you know. Or or I'll do the opposite and I'll waste the second half of the day because I get so much done in the first half. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know. Like, so is that a, is that a something that separates like six really successful people from like not? As far as doing your own thing successfully, like, sure, you could be successful and just go to your job every day because you just have a high paying job or whatever or good skill or mm. something. Yeah. Well, yeah. What constitutes success? I was going to say, too, I think, uh, yeah, it depends on what you're doing, because like what you were saying, like, did I accomplish a lot? And it's like, well, it depends on what your goals are. You know, it's like, what are you trying to achieve? And did you do things that helped you make progress toward achieving those things? So I think, um, yeah, it's better as a principle when you have integrated goals um, or maybe an integrated hierarchy of goals. I think it's worse when you are you have more diffuse, unintegrated goals, like meaning like if you're trying to do 10 things or five things and they're kind of unrelated and you're not sure you know, how they're related or the relative importance of the different things. Like, you know, I got work telling me I got to do this. I got my family life telling me I got to do this. I got this personal, you know, ultimatum that I've made with myself that I'm doing this, you know, and then I'm like trying to do little things every day toward all of those. I can feel very spread thin, I think. And partly because maybe I don't, those aren't integrated in any meaningful way. Like there's no coherence between that unifies all those activities I think when your activities are unified in the sense that it's like everything aligns with my highest order values. That's a well good then point. You feel yeah. integrated. You feel like you're making progress toward those things. And I think it's also easier to be motivated, like to get started toward those things because you see, okay, if I do this little thing, that's going to help me do this, which is going to help me achieve this goal, which yeah. ladders up to my values. Especially if you've done the thing, like you were saying, like, before kind of like over and over again or like this is the thing you do part of it is the freedom in a sense that slows me down mm. and some of it is also but i think along with that freedom comes like 
I also didn't have like a ton of resources necessarily. So like if, if I were me, but you just put a million bucks in my pocket, I'd probably do a lot of the same things, but I'd like pay people to help me, you know, like, mm-hmm. cause I'd still be like, Hey, okay, we're going to build this over here. Like, let's start building that up guys. You know, I'm going to like, I'll help. I'll do work too. But like, let's spread this work out a little bit, you know, get it done quick. Well, maybe and it forces was, you to be more organized too. Cause you got other people involved. Yeah. Cause there's an aspect of it where I don't know sometimes like what to do like i've never built really i have but not well i've never in an excellent way built counter bases and i was watching uh so this will tell you what my algorithm looks like um but i was watching on like facebook or instagram or something this morning some these guys like these mexican dudes just hanging drywall and it was just two of them and these mofos were so fast like I was because I've hung drywall and they were hanging ceiling and that's even more not fun because gravity. Right. And it's hard, these yeah. guys were like the like one guy would just jump up on a bucket, five gallon bucket that was tipped upside down. Bam. Throw that measuring tip up there. He could read that thing Im- immediately. And he just walk right over. I don't even know what he was using as a straight edge, but he just went and just cut the thing, broke the piece of drywall, ran back over there. He jumped up on a bucket. The other guy jumped up on a bucket. And these dudes are literally holding drywall, hanging drywall, you, somehow using the bucket and walking around the room without getting off the buckets. It was amazing. Like stilts or something. <laughs> but on one bucket, bucket each. Stilts. They're just like, wurr, wurr, wurr. They're like, they just kind of rolled it around, you know, just like oh wiggled. God. And they would like make them walk. And I was like, that's inspiring, first of all. And second of all, they're way faster than I am. And they could probably do like a whole house in a day if there's like those guys or a little team of them or whatever. So there's definitely something. It it really gave me the feeling of like, because I know how to drywall. Like I've done a lot of drywall, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I'm not like that. Like I'm not that fast. I guess I could be if I like was trying to, but they didn't look like they were trying to run. You know, they just look like they, they work fast. That's how they work. Well, maybe too, it's like repetition, like they've done it so many times, you know, like even though you know how to do it, it's like they've done it maybe a hundred times more. So, you know, you never know. But I don't know if you ever get fast if you do a little bit of everything. Like you can get a little faster. Oh, like hmm. I could do it faster than you could, but like I don't know if I'm ever going to be, like I'll I'll always know how to do drywall, but I don't know if I'll ever be so good, you know, because if they've done two houses in drywall, they've hung more drywall than I have. Oh, okay, you know, because yeah. how many pieces like drywalls in a house? Like, so they just get so much practice at it. Maybe that's it. When you spread yourself over a bunch of stuff, you just don't ever really hone one thing. You never get like excellent at it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, we talk about this in business too. Like, you know, you got to prioritize what the business is going to work on and whatnot. But you can also think about that in your personal life. Um, and the prioritization is like making difficult choices. I think businesses tend to fall into this trap where they don't want to make difficult choices. They don't want to sacrifice something. And it's actually interesting because when you make a difficult choice, like, you know, you got to do A or B, or you're going to take path A or path B. When you make that choice, you're killing a potential future. Like one of those potential futures won't live. And that's kind of interesting, poetic way to think about it to me. And you can also think about that in your personal life. When you make choices about what you're going to do and what things you're going to prioritize and what things you're going to work on. You're killing off potential yeah. future use no, that's that could 100%. exist. 
even even if there's no choice, you still are doing that. So I already kind of knew that I was going to put FRP, fiberglass reinforced plastic. It's just plastic sheets, basically, like but really durable ones in the mushroom house. Mm. And I really didn't have an alternative. I had th- I have some tile, you know, I was like, ah, maybe I'll do tile, maybe I'll just paint it. I don't know. You know, I was, I, but I really knew I already bought the stuff. It was sitting in my yard. Like I knew I had to use it for something. And it was like 99% sure going to be used in the mushroom house. So I was like, but I mean, I might have done a full day's worth, maybe spread out over two days because I, I got to do something every day, but I might've done a day's worth of just staring into that room going, man, once I put this stuff up, so right now all my walls are, they're wood, they're screwed in. If I need to, I could unscrew them. I could take them off. I could access the electricity or the electrical or the insulation behind it. But once I put this wall up, it's glued to that wood. There's no pulling that back off and unscrewing this wall. Any access to the interiors of the wall, I'm going to have to do from the outside of the house because mm-hmm. I'm gluing this stuff to the wall, like with a quarter inch layer of industrial adhesive and it made me really nervous because i was like and once you i mean you got to put glue on it and then you got to stick it to the wall and you got to stick it up there right it's got to be cut right if it's cut wrong you can't take it i mean that's a big mistake you got to get all the glue off of it before it dries off the wall back into the bucket clean everything recut it close all that make sure none of it dries out gets little clumps in it you know what i mean like it's mm-hmm, you got to mm-hmm. be ready to go and i think i probably did 12 hours or nine of just staring into that room going, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to do this first. I'm going to, when do I cut the outlet holes? When do I, do I get the trim? Should I put the trim on while I'm doing it? Well, this is an interesting sort of dynamic. I think too, you have this dynamic where whenever you're doing something new, like something truly that you've never done before that you don't know how to do, it's like that's optimal learning in the sense that like, You've never done it before, so you're going to learn the most as opposed to something you've done before. Uh, But it's, yeah, the velocity, the trade-off, I think, is velocity or speed. So it's like you accomplish less when you're doing things you don't know how to do, but you learn more. Or money. If I would have paid someone to do it, he could have done it in 15 minutes because it's a tiny little room. Right, It probably would have been amazing. It looked excellent. I would have been like, damn, I'm glad I had you do this. And he probably would have said, that'll be $1,500. And I go, shit, I kind of need that $1,500 still. You know, (laughs) like, I'd love to give it to you. but And I'm going to spend more time than you are, which kind of, in a way, you could think of me spending more money if I'm going to charge myself by the hour you know what i mean well your opportunity costs of your time yeah Yeah. but i think that's the trade-off and i think that that's something maybe that would be good to point out it's like it's interesting to me at least what did i gain that i i got walls and experience so maybe what's that worth you know yeah it's interesting the price of convenience i think is knowledge in the sense that capitalism is an interesting way more interesting phenomenon than we give it credit and it makes sense that something like psychology and economics would marry at some point and try to figure out what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, well, it's like, uh, what do you want? You know, do you want a rich, robust experience? The sort of like, I know a lot of things. I am a generalist. I have deep integrated knowledge of a variety of things. Or do I really want to make a lot of progress in a certain direction? And I think you see... I think the culture tries to push you down that specialist route, and that's maybe the capitalistic 
impulse is to you know specialize or whatever but i think there's something mm. that inside people that yearns for the newness and the novelty and the learning and the wait actually maybe i do want to you know i know i could just pay someone who's but maybe i want to learn myself maybe it would that's be interesting that's a really good point so if we're going to spend like so much of our life toiling like laboring rather than leisuring or what or whatever yeah you really would i mean it seems it seems weird that I've not thought how seen how obvious that would be, but it's so obvious that it doesn't even need an explanation. You would just, it would be like, you can't do the same thing every day. Like that doesn't even make sense. You know, (laughs) like even on a practical level, it seems like, does that make sense? Like, it just seems like, Oh, that's an idea. And then quickly somebody been like, I don't don't know. Maybe we should have them doing something other than just turning a bolt all day. It's like, no, no, there's no faster way to turn the bolt. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, Okay, okay, you're right. Yeah, okay, turn the bolt job, fine. You know, it's like we just skipped over that and then a hundred years went by and here we are. Yeah, well, I think the drive too is like that speed. You know, it's like, well, that's what you want. It's like the speed of progress. And it's like, we want progress, progress so much, you know, progress so fast. And I think it's like, well, at what cost though? And I think the cost is like people's experience becomes less rich and interesting and varied. You know, have you have you heard this thing it may be something everybody knows, and I might sound dumb because I don't. I just kind of heard about it. I mean, I've heard it before, but I was like, I didn't know that was like a real, real thing. But they were talking about. So there's this. There's the theory, or the. It's not even a theory. It's just true that like, if you're, you know, five years old, waiting for your sixth birthday, which you really want to come along, takes forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then if you're 35 years old, or whatever age we are, or I am. You're like, oh my god! Can the can we slow this time down? Because I got so much shit to do, mm. and I don't want to watch a whole year go by and go, whoops, I didn't get it all done. You know what I mean? Like even just getting like the garden planted, it's like I need more time. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that that it, we experience it that way, part of the reason, the most obvious part is that one year going by for me. If my whole life is a pie and I'm adding a new year to it, I'm it's a 35th of my life. It's a tiny little sliver of a pie. The five-year-old, he's got a pie cut into four pieces for his life. His whole life is only four years. The five-year-old, he's got a pie cut into four pieces for his life. His whole life is only four years. So... With this new year he's experiencing is a whole fifth of his life. That's a big piece of pie. That's mm-hmm, more pie mm-hmm. than you should be eating. Fractionally, yeah, it's a lot more. So, but and so your relative experience of that, yeah, it would make sense that you that that you would actually l- literally experience that relative nature of time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ex- of your experience of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you die, you're born and you die. You know, yes, that kind of thing. yes, yeah. But apparently, there's a lot of science on this other facet. What everybody that's listening, which is nobody, so that's nice, is screaming, get to the point we already know this fact. But the other point or factor, I guess, is novelty. So as a kid, everything is also extremely novel. It's the first time for everything. Yeah. Well, most a things, lot of yeah, things. probably, yeah. And yeah, then when it you gets get older, less and less over time, less novelty. And so apparently, 
that's been studied. Have you heard this? Like, so that's been studied in the relation in relation to the experience of the passage of time. And so they've mm. dis- determined that the best way, like the most reliable way, because you can't go back to being five. You can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could extend your expected life to like a million years. That's the only way to actually change that factor. But if you can't do that, the only thing to actually uh, dilate time. Make it feel like it's passing slower. or Yes. In any direction, I guess, is through monotony or novelty. Oh, so okay. the more novelty sure. experience, mm. the longer the experience feels like, which I guess is how come the drive to vacation passes quickly or passes slowly. Like, when are we going to get there? Slower than coming And then back, on the way yeah. back, you're like, damn, did we take a different way back? Because that was like <laughs> Already so been there. Because yeah. you've seen, you've had all this. For yeah. some reason, my Southern is coming out. I'm like, you've seen it already. <laughs> because you've seen all that. That's what happens when I talk about something I don't know about. I just start sounding like that. So I think our life, you were making the point. I said our life, we would get some literally life back from not doing the same thing. Mm. Oh, you mean like, yeah, there's some literal experiential element there that may actually. Yeah, maybe everything. Maybe if it feels you're doing, longer or whatnot. Yeah, like so an Amish person's life, I don't know how monotonized their routines are, but I've seen them do things that's like does not seem routine like move an entire building with humans just lifting up on an edge and having like 7,000 people do it at one time. You're like, probably don't do that every day, you know? And that was probably a long day. The experience of life for them might be, or for anybody living more like that, it must just, it might just seem like a lot, like life is so long, you know? Mm -hmm. Whereas at 30, you're like, oh my God, or whatever. I don't even know how old I am. Who cares? But whatever age I'm at, you know, you start experiencing more race. and more like, yeah. oh my God, I'm going to die. Corporate you know, like and, yeah. your grandparents die, then your parents start to die, and then you're like, shit, I'm next, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it makes me um, think about memory. And the interesting thing to me about memory is, well, like we literally don't know anything about it. Like if you talk to like leading memory researchers and whatnot and scientists, they're like, we don't know how it works. And by the way, they've been talking about that for a long time. Like in philosophy and like my philosophy courses, we were reading things from like John Locke and like whatever. Like there's a whole, I mean, like 1700s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. There's, they're literally trying to figure out what, you're, like, are you your memory? Do we need the memory? Is the memory make my identity? What is it? You know, and like still we're now like we have basically self-driving cars and supercomputers in our pocket. And we're like, memory, what is memory? Is it my phone? Uh, does it matter? We still don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so one fact about one observation you can make about memory that I think is really interesting in this context is the things that you remember are meaningful. So the things that stick with you are the meaningful things to you. Like if you think about just recollecting your past, the things that come to mind are obviously the most important, meaningful, you know, rich elements of your life, I think. Or useful, because some people point out that we remember bad things way better. But I think those are also meaningful things. in a sense. It's like maybe the, the meaning has that's a negative like the, valence. That's the biological but... th- version of meaningfulness where it's like you really want to avoid that. Mm-hmm. So like log that away you don't need to like definitely make sure you figure out how to like have a really euphoric feeling again but you definitely need to figure out how to not like bleed out 
Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You like step on a thorn, you <laughs> your foot sore for like two weeks, you know, as a primitive person. And you're like, wow, do not step on. That was the worst time ever. I stepped on a thorn. I'm never doing that again. But they're like, right, don't you right. remember the view from the mountaintop? You're like, no, what? We, I didn't even remember we were climbing a mountain. I thought I just was stepping on thorns. So you lose <laughs> some of that good stuff sometimes. There's the saying, all is well that ends well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's there's some nuance there. Yeah, in memory, yeah. I, it gets really complicated and really complex. The point this is why I, I've made no progress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The point I want to make is, so you remember the meaningful things, and then um, I was thinking recently, uh, you know, the pandemic, it passed so quickly. It feels like we all went through a time warp or something. You know, it's like things that happened three years ago or whatever before the pandemic, I'm like, I literally think, like, in my mind, they happened last year, like a year ago. And then I realized, oh, no, like, they happened three years ago. And I was kind of thinking, why okay, is that? Wait why a minute. Is that is really weird that because that's condensed. the opposite of what we just said, right? Well, no, no. This is how I'm going to connect it. So I think the reason why that is is because there was a lot less meaningful things going on in my life and I think in people's lives in general during the pandemic. And oh, by meaning, so even though it was new, it was the same thing over and over. Right. And over it was like, again. stay at your home, you know, don't uh, go out, don't see new people. Six feet, get yeah. the backs, get the heart dart. I mean, yes. Okay. It was like, yeah. So I think, and then the, we had less weddings than ever before and people weren't celebrating things. People weren't having, Didn't you know, get to go, people were not going out to dinner. Yeah. So I think there was a lot less states, meaning yeah. in mm. people's lives. Mm. And so it felt like time really sped up and there's not a lot of rich memories that you have from that period. Wow. We just had a hot take. <laughs> that's good content is it i don't know i just i think that's to me you know that's like what meaning is and what memory is yeah my initial thought was definitely like oh wait i just disproved that because that was a whole novel experience and if you think about it the beginning of the pandemic it was novel at the beginning yeah and i think people remember that part i remember having and i have writings i wrote stuff down because i would have these super overwhelming feelings in the very beginning because it was so many different things so quickly and I remember going man I mean I already knew because you know I know what's up I know <laughs> oh the plan but I was like this is like how long are we gonna do this for like this is ridiculous you know mm -hmm. like I couldn't go I, these stores my God, you know, like I have to go to Pike to get like soil and we're in Georgia. So they'd opened it. But there was a moment there where everything like wasn't quite right. And then quickly we were like, wait a minute. We don't give a shit. It's the South. But they were like, wait, I, I just I didn't even do the things like I would go out and there was a line. They were letting like two people in the whole store at a time. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm not staying. They literally at one point, they the guy, they wouldn't let you in. And what do you need? I'm like, I don't know. I'm here to shop. Like, mm -hmm. I have to look at the plants. I have yeah, to look yeah. at the thing I'm looking, you know, so I was like, I'm not doing this. I would just go home and it quickly. So those are all very new experiences. But once you got accustomed to it, boom, it was like, oh my God. And then you, then you could look back and be like, what was that? Like three weeks ago that Pike wouldn't let me in. And I was like, no, that was like three years ago that you couldn't get into Pike. And I was like, God dang. Cause I've been piddling around my house for three or four years, literally. Cause I got fired in mm. the pandemic because right. of the pandemic and now it's like shit how long have i been doing nothing not nothing exactly. but you know what i'm saying like there's something because but again the interesting thing being that did go by quickly and my first thought is but that was all new it should have shouldn't it under this theory have gone really slowly 
Mm -hmm. You know, shouldn't it have felt like a lifetime? And it really didn't. Yeah, well, I think that it's like the counterintuitive notion of monotony. It's like monotony is like, oh, it's like, you know, it feels like it takes forever to get through something monotonous. And it's like maybe in the moment it feels like that. But I think looking backwards, you have a completely different experience of monotony where actually monotony becomes like one thing in memory. And then it's like it seems very short. It seems very small. It seems very insignificant. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think uh, to me, there's something really deep there. Uh, with memory and meaning, like to me, that's like kind of heaven and hell. Like, because when you're experiencing something meaningful and it's rich, I think it's like everlasting in some sense. Like it lives on in your memory is one way to think about it as like everlasting, like it transcends time. Like you carry it with you from the time that it happened throughout your life. And the meaningless things in your life, you don't carry with you. And I think that that's like, it's almost like you're dead in those. It's like those things don't transcend time. They're literally ephemeral, like definitionally. Yeah, that, you know what? The pandemic is, is, if you think about it, is the perfect example of that because it wasn't just new stuff because what were they trying to do the whole time? They're trying to convince you and they're still trying to do it, these psychopaths. <laughs> but they had a freaking phrase for it, the new normal, new normal. Like they were trying to embed it you know, into, even though they were wrong about literally everything they said at every turn, they were like, this is going to be the new normal, the new normal, the new normal. And it was like, they were forcing that to become like a routine, a norm, this thing. And most of the country and all these idiots that I'm surrounded by were like going along. They're like, yeah, this is normal now, you know? And it became, they were, it became monotony. It became all the same. It quickly became not novel. They literally were calling it the novel coronavirus. Where did that go? You know, it's like, it's not novel at all what we're doing now. It's, we've been doing this for freaking three, four, five years. And I want to do something else, you know? So now everything you think of, for me at least, it's like, I'm I, I probably will never get on an airplane again. And I've flown a lot in my life, but I'm like, I'm not going to do all that crap. You know, I'm just not, I don't want to do it. It's it's normalized. I've been told about it. I've come up against it so many times. And that's taken a piece of variety kind of away, you know, from my experience. or And even like going out of town or things like that, which can happen through like other more natural means. Like we also have like chickens and dogs and things that go along here at the house that will like limit our ability to like go out or makes it a little more challenging. And that can create a lot of routine because it's like, Oh God, we can never go anywhere because we got all this stuff. Every time we leave, we got to do all this. And the preparing to leave feels longer than the vacation, mm -hmm. you know, because it's all this stuff you don't do very often, which is talk to a bunch of people, figure out who's going to come when you're like planning and scheduling and trying to make sure nothing dies. You know, like that actually is oh, like, Oh my God, it's taking me forever to do this little tiny task. So yeah, there is something that's that's just a thing that's worth I think thought, uh, and I have definitely not actually heard this. That's why I said it's a hot take. I haven't heard anyone talk about the experience of this under these, whatever auspices, like under this kind of mode of analysis, like the experience of it, time wise, memory wise. Yeah, well, I wanted to go back to I wanted to talk about maybe this will be a skirt. Um, this you know. 
pruning, so to speak, of your experience and the future selves dying as you pick a direction. So we were talking about motivation and goals. And I think partly in your life, like you were saying, you know, as you get older, you experience less novelty um, generally. And so your experience of time is faster. Um, But I also think as you age, there's a pruning of your life, like there's a pruning literally biologically of your neurons, like your neurons, you know, can fire in all sorts of different ways when you're young. But as you grow older, certain pathways get reinforced yeah. and certain pathways die off. A, a book of like a, bi- a biography can be someone's whole life, but it's not, it doesn't take a lifetime to read it, but it would take a lifetime to reenact it, you know, so it, everything becomes, I think, you know, like a kind of itemized and like you said, it's pruned down to like, here's the, here's what it was. And it's like, well, what was the other stuff? You know, like what was the, sometimes some people, you know, you kind of leave out the daily this and that and you go, well, my, my story is I've pruned it all down to this experience, that experience, my childhood, da, 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 da. Cause there is a, there's actually a psychological theory I'm trying to remember what they call it. Well, maybe what you're talking about is like narrativization, like you condense a lot of experience and there's a lot of variability into like a coherent thread that's like one thing or whatever. And maybe your experience is so varied that it's not really like that. Yeah, because well, there's an ex- there's a theory, there's a very robust theory on that. That, But I remember in psychology when we were learning this, it was definitely, not, it was an option. It was not like set in stone. Like we're not sure this is how it is, but here's a theory. And we did like three or four other ones. But one of them was very much so about like time markers in life and that they can actually be different culturally. So like in the West or especially in this country, even in other Western countries, it's different. Like France has a different education system. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know, but for us, it's like you can't wait to become a double digit person. Sure. Well, you got 21, but maybe there's bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs in other cultures. You and... become a teenager. Sure. Or you have a bar mitzvah. Or you get a, Then you go to school. Then you get a job. Then you do this. And each of get married, have kids. You know, these are all like Right. There's different milestones markers, and where they right. are is different. Yeah, yeah. 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 So there's definitely that cultural element. What I was really tracking onto, though, I think that's interesting to me, is this. There's a movement from limitless potentiality or potential to a singularity. Like you're going to live one life and you're going to have one story. Right. I put the walls up and now it's done. Now that's that. Right. At the beginning, though, you could be anyone. You could do anything. Right. And there's all the options in front of you. At least that's what we're told. Here, that's very well, less, that's very American. Yeah, I guess unless you're fatalistic and you're like, well, you had no options and you're just, I don't b- really believe that though. Um, right. I just think you can just look at the vari- variability in people's lives and people today and it's like, well, you, there's a billion different ways to live your life um, and a billion different choices you can make. And obviously you experience that too. Like in every situation, there's different choices you could make. You could plan to do different things in the future. You could change your goals. You could, yeah. So there's lots of things you could do. And so the point I wanted to make though is like, it's interesting to me because- there's this optimal pruning, both biologically, like your neurons, like I said, but there's also, you know, like a that has like a almost like metaphorical meaning as well. Like your future selves are kind of dying off. And I think when you put it that way, like all the future selves, except for one, are going to die. You know, only one, you will only live one life and have one story. And so all the other stories that you could have had won't exist. And so I think when you think about it like that, your life can become much more meaningful and the the gravity of your decisions can become much more apparent. 
And I think that that is interesting and maybe helpful, at least for me, to think about. Because when you put it that way, at least for me, I think, well, damn, you know, like I better think about which me I want to be. And because there's only one me that's going to be. And, you know, if I'm not this one, I'm that one. And which one is better and which one should exist and which one and is what is what best. really compels us towards those things and what what determines whether or not we achieve them or not. You know, there's a lot going on there because I have experienced a lot of things and I feel like there's this weird thing. This is probably, again, pathological, but I kind of have this. I've always had this like not always, but there's like a weird feeling maybe because of my current situation. I don't know, but that like probably one day one of the experiences I will have is abject homelessness. And I've really put a lot of thought into it and like, how will that be? And I'm kind of not resigned to it, but I'm like, that will, I really just, I've really considered it and I'm, and thought there's probably a way to not have that experience. And I'm not sure how upset I'd be if I were having it. Cause it would really just depend on what, turns out because some things you don't have control over like what if like right now what if kim was like yeah we're breaking up you know we're mm-hmm. going our separate ways now and that could be the beginning of my homelessness mm-hmm. i don't know you know what i mean it would but i how much control over that i have i don't know it could be something horrible too you know a car accident or something that i'm not there for or whatever well sure there's always things you can't control i think the best you can do is uh prepare for the flood, you know, so to speak, because the flood is always coming. There's always catastrophe lurking in the darkness in the areas that you can't see uh, ahead of you. And so the best you can do is make the ark. You know, you have to make provisions today to weather the uncertainty that you know is inevitable um, in the future. Yeah. And it is inevitable. Everything ends in death. Right. And it's like, what's the, the drive? I think one, it's like to survive, to keep going. But then, too, it's like to live a life worth living. Um, and I think that that's the, the difficult question. You know, it's like what what things are worth doing and spending your time on. It, that Yes, that was my that's actually more my point with the homelessness thing is that, like, I've considered it to such a degree that I've almost I, I said I hadn't resigned to it. But I've I can I think I could accept it and recognize the experience of it. And I've also thought, you know, that doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a forever thing. It looks like it because, like Jesus said, the homeless, the poor will always be with you. Did he say that? Yeah. Oh, they were talking about, I can't remember the moral there, but it was like, shouldn't, I think it was when Mary Magdalene, the prostitute that he hung out with, or so they, <laughs> they claimed she was a prostitute, we don't know. She Probably. was the one who washed his feet with her what, hair, right? That was the exact story we're talking about. So there was one, the money changer guy, the one Thomas? of the apostles. The apostle? One of them, yeah, said, what a waste. She poured perfume on his feet and washed his feet with her hair. This mm. is what was, there's some symbolism going on there, a lot of symbolism going on there, actually. Right. But on its face, the story goes, he goes, this other, you know, one of his apostles goes, what a waste that could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. Now there's some kind of assumption that could be made there that he's thinking greedily, you know, like maybe he's skimming off the top. Who knows? You know, why is he so concerned? What, what, why is this really bothering you? Like, and he, that's what Jesus said. It was like, 
what's your problem? You know, mm. he said, the poor will always be with you. This woman is doing something else and you need to back the fuck up. Before <laughs> That's I what knock Jesus you out. said. He said, back the fuck up <laughs> before I knock you out, Peter or Timothy or whoever you are. Thomas, whoever could, it was. He couldn't even I remember. Even no, I'm just, I know. <laughs> he was it so It might drunk. have been Thomas. It was, doubting, <laughs> it was doubting Thomas. That's what they call him. So, yeah, so um, that was just a side note. Uh, well, yeah, what's a, the moral of that story? The poor will always be with you. Like in spirit or in mind, is that kind of what he means? I think to me it sounds a little bit like you can't walk away from the problems you experience in your life, whether they're personal or they're societal. Like I think a lot of people try to return to a state of naivete where they want to go back to a state before they understood the difference between right and wrong and recognize the difference between good and bad. And so people, I see it in the culture too, where people will be like, you know, oh, everything's fine, like tolerate everything. And, you know, everybody's living their own life. It's up for them to decide. And I think that that is, that's just a return to naivete, to childhood, to not knowing the difference between right and wrong. And it's not a proper way forward and not a responsible way to live with your life. And I think once you become aware as you grow older and you grow wise and you learn and you become a capable human being, an actualized human being, you learn the difference between right and wrong because you've made mistakes. You've been down the wrong roads and whatnot. And you can't turn your back on the problems. You can't just walk away from them. You know, they they eat at your soul, so to speak, or whatever. You might be on something. Here, let me read this to you. I'm going to go with the King James Version because I sometimes prefer it. But and it's I won't read the whole chapter. I'll just read a couple of the verses because I think it it looks like it's going along with how you're interpreting it, even though we don't even know the story yet. So <laughs> this is Matthew 26. And the actual quote is in the 11th verse. Each verse is like a sentence. So Matthew 26. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. So he'd probably been talking to him in the previous chapter. He said unto his disciples, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man, which is himself, is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the place of the high priest, who was called uh, Caiaphas, or something, and consulted that they might take Jesus by uh, subtlety and kill him. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. I don't know what that means. M-E-A-T. So maybe it wasn't Mary Magdalene, but somebody. But when his disciples saw, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me, you don't always have me. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Yada, yada, yada. It goes on. So Interesting. So not Mary Magdalene, but... It may, well, this story is probably told in multiple Gospels. Who knows? They kind of repeat themselves. But in this version, yeah, someone comes and pours out some expensive perfume or whatever, and they're like, hey... We could have had that money. We could have. I mean, we could have given it to the poor. Uh, wink, wink. Uh, and he's like, "Well, the poor will always be with you. I won't always be with you." 
so there's so many levels to all this stuff but it's like and some level there it's just like even if you're being honest that you you'd like to help the poor here i'm the one you're following you know i'm important to you and you're bitching about this lady doing this thing probably because you're a bunch of misogynists and you can't even believe she's in here probably she's a prostitute you know because the people that were most kind of like throwing themselves at the feet of Jesus were like the destitute, you know, mm-hmm. the prostitutes. Right. The poor, the needy, the sinners. Yeah, yeah. The sinners who were who were like, we're unworthy, you know, mm-hmm. not the ones who were like, oh, we're Jesus' apostles. We're fishers of men. Like we, we got this. Like we should be giving this to the poor. We should be doing these good works or whatever. And he's sitting there pointing out like a totally different experience. Like you're that perfume probably was hers you know what i mean yeah well i think there's something interesting there too not that like i'm sure there's lots of different interpretations and layers of meaning here but yeah another thing that seems apparent to me is like what are you anointing it's kind of like she's like anointing jesus and for his burial like it's a symbol he's like literally pointing out the symbolism he's like i'm gonna be i just told you i was gonna be killed in three days right and i think partly it's like uh she's placing him in this, you know, rightful hierarchical position. And Jesus is like not merely a man, but he's like an archetype, like an idea of someone, like a way to be, someone to strive to become. I mean, he's God, you know. Right. And I think that that's kind of the difference to me is like you're sacrificing yourself and anointing and humbling yourself before the archetype that you're striving to become like, like be like Jesus, that you know you'll never be perfectly like Jesus. Yeah, you poured out something very valuable and expensive. That's what everybody, right, your life, everybody yeah. was like, whoa, why are you pouring that out? Yeah. yeah, like that's crazy. You know, maybe that stuff wasn't easy to get. Yeah, it's almost like the apostles in that sense are like anointing themselves, like making themselves God. Like, oh, I can just in my own right provide for the poor and take care of them and solve all the problems. And I am, you know, kind of being God in that sense. And I think that he is saying like the lesson there maybe is like submit yourself to something higher than your own power um, is another. Or your own good deeds or your own whatever. Because that story always to me does sound kind of odd you know it sounds a little odd yeah yeah it's like because it sounds like like it sounds very like a very normal non-apostolic is that a word (laughs) non like uh sure like you've had that experience you know like oh you're wasting you're squandering something Mm -hmm. oh Mm -hmm. that's so valuable like what are you doing or like uh kim has this cousin that She's like, I've said things and she gets like triggered by it because she, because it like sounds like someone she grew up around that she's like, that's not a good way to be. And her dad is like, Kim's dad's like very collect, like loves nice things. Like you've been to his house. Like a collector, like a hoarder, maybe even. (laughs) Probably. But there's some stuff that he, some of the stuff he collects is like really cool. You know, like he doesn't have crap, you know, he does have a lot of crap, but that stuff isn't for collection, but he'll have like really fancy old antique perfume bottles. He has really cool stuff that does not belong in his house, like these massive murals that look like they were taken down out of like a cathedral that are like in coffered frames that probably cost $20,000, you know, Mm. that he's found somewhere and just crazy stuff. Anyway, so if I say something like, I'll find some random stuff here, you know, I'll be like, oh man, this thing's, this could be worth money, you know? This cousin would be say that kind of stuff, like find, see Kim's fancy jewelry that her dad got. He loves jewelry. And if she said something like that, Kim would be 
explained from her parents, you know, she'd be like, oh, you could sell this for so much money. Her parents would be like, you're never going to get this again. Mm-hmm. Literally, that was the lesson. Like this, you could sell it for a lot of money, but this is special because you have it and you'll never have this again. Mm. Yeah, that's another interesting layer. It's like not all things, maybe nothing is actually transmutable in the way that like money has made us think things are like, oh, everything's just equivalent. You can just convert everything into money and then money you can convert into anything. Like, you know, I sell this, I get money and I buy whatever I want. And that creates this maybe false equivalence between things. And it's like, no, like everything is actually really different. It's like you only really have this this perfume is like this, it's just this one perfume and it's really special and, you know, it's, it's there's only one of them and maybe you should treat it with care and cherish it. Yeah, and it's, and it's like buying your loved one something silly, gold <laughs> or something, you know what I mean? Just, yeah. Or something that they really appreciate that, that they could easily say or an outside observer could go, don't you have other problems you could fix with this? And you go, yeah, but I, I don't know how long I have this person with me. It's not about that. I'm trying to do something here, you know, beyond what it may look like from your perspective. Yeah. I'm trying to show appreciation for this person. I'm trying to give them something they want, give them a good feeling, whatever, you know what I mean? It's just what you, it's, it should, I feel like be obvious that there can, you can do things like that and that there could be a deeper not everything is bean counting, you know, not everything is banking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes the, the nature of the sacrifice very different when it's something very precious. You know, it's she could have just taken the perfume and sold it for money and then given the money to the poor. But it's like the quality of the sacrifice there for the poor then is very different. It's not the same as like giving one person the one perfume that you have, you know, or something. Yeah. It's deep. Yeah. But did that side note cut off a greater point? Because you were saying, I think you were kind of making that point in a way anyways, beyond. Yeah. I was thinking, so so there's this pruning from multiplicity down to like singularity, like you can only live one life. And I think there's also like a cultural phenomenon here where I was saying earlier, I think to me, the, you know, the Bible talks about is eating from the tree of good and evil or knowledge. I think to me, it's like you... You grow up, you become an adult and a well-functioning person and you gain knowledge and wisdom and you learn about what's right and wrong because you made mistakes, like I said. And then I think you face like a critical point in your life. And I think you can either go forward or you can try and return backward and regress. And the regression looks like the return to naivete. And I think the moving forward looks like living a life of responsibility and meaning and judgment, like judging what's good for you and what's not good, dispensing with what's bad. Um, And I think we're at this time in the culture where I see a lot of people want to return to naivete, return to the simple life, turn their back on society's problems, the problems in their personal life and whatnot, and just say, oh, it doesn't matter, everything's okay. You know, sort of that childlike state where you're not able to distinguish between right and wrong. But the problem is that you know better now, and you know what's not good for you. It's a burden, it's a burden. For it's sure. difficult. Yeah, that's the responsibility part. It's like difficult to lead a life where you're dispensing with what's not good and trying to preserve and cherish what's what's valuable. And I think, uh, yeah, to me, I see a lot of things where I'm like, you know, people want to return to the simple life or whatever. Like literally I had this person uh, 
tell me recently, you know, they wanted to go, and I've had this same sort of fantastical dream where I want to like go live on a mountain or whatever, the simple life farm and whatnot, and, you know, be away from society. But I just don't think you can actually return to the simple life because I've been in this life now and I know what society is like and the problems that we're dealing with as a species and a culture. And you can't just turn away from that. You can't unknow it. And so I think the only way forward is through it, is to think about how to make meaning of it and make progress of it uh, and solve problems in your own life um, and try to make it better for yourself and for your family and your community. Um, and yeah, I just think it's it's interesting. It's kind of like a, maybe you would, you would call it like a Peter Pan-like syndrome that, you know, never you want to be in never-never land. You never leave the childhood-like state. You never become an adult. Yeah, um, but but there's definitely so it's I'm I'm like getting a visual of like a stream and the stream is like I don't know what the stream represents. The stream has a, a direction. You know, it maybe it's flows it's faster and slower. Yeah, what is the current is the question. Something it could be just the it could just be time. It could be the you know, a natural force. It could be an artificial force. Maybe there's a dam or a pump or something controls that to a certain extent. Maybe there's a little bit of both. Maybe you can never fully control the current, but you try. There's a saying in like construction, you can't fight water. Mm-hmm. And you can't. I've tried. We got water here. <laughs> it is the bane of my existence. It is so hard to fight this freaking water. You can't. It's so hard to get it to divert where you want it to divert. It's not simple. It has its own way that it wants to go. And it's way more complicated than path of least resistance, trust me. But there is something to path of least resistance. It's finding that in a complicated way sometimes. And you have all the fish in the stream too. And whether they're swimming downstream or upstream, maybe that's why the current doesn't really matter. But it's such a pain in the ass, which is the the desire for that side stream, for that mountain cabin you know, like I just got to get out of all, I'm trying to swim the other direction. Mm. I'm trying to swim. I'm trying to do something else. And I have to constantly fight against this flow. Everyone is going one way and I'm, I don't know why. And it doesn't even kind of matter how it started now, whether it is artificial or not, because once you get all these fish going one direction, that's like a schooling mentality. You know, they're, they're not even, you know, even in nature, fish and birds, they do complicated things, but no one bird knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. highly, you know, unless you're dumb and you think that that's sentience or something beyond what it really is. But it is it is some kind of emergent crazy phenomenon. And like you were saying, I'm vis- I am I think of those things like what should I do now or the direction like you were saying that the world is going in or whatever. I can't go out now because it's going anyways. And there is something to that, but it makes well, you... yeah. You can be a tumbleweed, you know, or you can you can exercise your will and your courage and your strength and say, no, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. So if you if you take a side stream, if you're one of those fish and you're like, I'm tired of fighting this, I got to go the other way and you do it alone, which seems easiest because you're like, I see a break. I can I can get there and just go out and not be part of this. But the only way to ever turn that tide or turn the that that school around change the trajectory here is you've got to grab other fish 
and most of them are going to be like, get your hands off me six feet fool. Are you vaccinated or whatever they're going to say? I got work tomorrow. Yeah, whatever. So it's hard, but it seems like if you really are going to make any difference, that's the kind of fish you have to be. Yeah. I mean, you could make a difference maybe by a thousand independent fish going down other direction, going whatever, some other direction, some other way. But when I think of like the cabin in the hills, I, I kind of sort of live that way now. And I tell you, it's a lot easier to raise a roof, literally, with help. You know, but if you're in a cabin by yourself, it's all you. And then how do you get that going again? Mm -hmm. You got to start having your kids. Maybe you do meet a neighbor. Maybe they're a hundred miles away. Maybe they're not that far away and they're doing the same thing. So if if you're ever going to have that kind of life again of interaction and help and goodwill toward, you know, whatever, because I'm fighting between your notion that, well, here we go. You know, we're going anyways. What am I going to do? Just drop out. And it's like, can't just go back to the past and it's like but there are things maybe they maybe we don't have to think about them as going back to but maybe something similar to what comes in the future has existed before and is better maybe it's not best to be the guy that just turns the bolt on the oh, yeah, yeah. Over, and over and over and over and over and over maybe that's not what we're trying to change maybe it's something else whatever it is whatever that better good gooder place direction whatever unfortunately <laughs> does take a lot of bumping those other fish you know what i mean yeah. just like fighting that cr crowd well, it takes constantly. conscious will i think because it's easy to just you know let the collective you know wherever it's going you just go with it and it's easy to be in an unconscious state in that way just you know like just followers and do whatever everybody else is doing and don't really think about your own choices and decisions I just don't think that's a way to really live your life in a meaningful way because it's like you're not fully actualized, one. Like, who are you if you're just following the collective whim? It's like you're not really anybody then. You're not really an individual. You haven't really come into yourself. Like, who are you? Um, but then, two, I also think it's like you don't come into knowing anything. Like, literally, it's unconscious. Like, if you're just following the unconscious direction of the school of fish, it's like, you don't come to learn and be aware of, you know, where are we going? What is right? What is wrong? What? And that's, I think, a difficult burden that people would like to off shoulder. Yeah, it all it all gets outsourced yeah. too because we're not just fish. We're also okay. Well, maybe it's not so safe to be in this big school of fish because somebody just take their net and scoop you all up. But it may not be safe to be a little group cloistered off somewhere else either because maybe maybe that's what becomes stumbled across, or maybe the big school says, look we got to build some bombs, you know, like there's some stuff going on and we got to protect the school. Or maybe you have the opposite direction. You go all Bill Gates on them. You're like, we just got to eliminate most of these fish. We should still keep swimming in this really shitty direction that's causing us to have to eliminate most of the fish, but we should eliminate them. You know, it's like, uh, like I know you, you got to you know, like chill. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just saying like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of directions and possibilities going on. You're not going to get everyone to turn around. Maybe you don't even want everyone to turn around. You got to have a lot of things. You know, you got to have variation. Right. I think, yeah, to me, it's like backstops. Yeah. You got to stand up and it's like maybe. So here's the situation. You know, it's like say you're in a job where you're working at a company that's doing something that you think is wrong, you know, is wrong and you're in your heart and your conscious is telling you it's wrong. And, you know, you could be like, well, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to quit this job. I'm just going to do something different. I, You know, whatever. But 
The problem with that is that someone else will come take that job and that business will still keep doing that thing that's wrong. And so the responsibility, you're like, maybe you're like, it's unfairly been placed on my shoulders. Why do I have to step up and take the place? And it's like, well, that's that's how it is. That's your life. You know, this is what life gave you. This is the situation you were thrust into. With great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) And sometimes that power is just simply a realization. Because that is true. Like, I have thought, like, boy, there's potential out there to be be the Joe Rogan, you know. And he said something. This is a side note, and I'm going to get back to it. But he said something really weird. And and when he said it, I was like, oh, my God, that's 100% true. So you listen to podcasts. What do they always say? Like and subscribe. Follow us. Tell your friends about it. Joe Rogan does not do that and has never done that. He literally said, I've never told anyone to listen to the podcast. It just grew organically. Yeah, I did hear and him I'm say like, that. I thought Wait that was a interesting. Minute. That's true. He's literally never said like, follow, subscribe, rate my podcast. Never. He doesn't do that. He just talks to people. Right. Like, He's not boy, pandering. Interesting. So my point is, so we have this company. This company is called Misfits. They're really cool. They started out amazing. It was all about wasted food that you could buy because we do this thing where we get rid of ugly food or food that's not quite the right shape. You know, like every bell pepper has to have four symmetrical lobes. By we, you mean like companies who sell food and whatnot. Yeah, if you go to... So there's a lot of food that gets rejected mm-hmm. from market. It doesn't make it to the supermarket. It doesn't yeah. make it, but it's totally normal. Sometimes it's because it's too big, you know, and then it has to be sold as a jumbo, but no one wants a bunch of jumbos. There's not enough jumbos. We're just going to get the regular tomatoes or the regular peppers or whatever, you know. So, or some of it would be, so then it started doing some other waste management type stuff, like things that were getting closer to expiring or that kind of thing, or that hadn't been sold so coffees that were maybe going to sit on the shelf too long before they ever made it to a store, you know, things. So there was like, it was kind of just like a waste saving. It was cheap because you're not picking a lot of times. It's kind of actually started out very random. You didn't even get to choose. You just said, I want this size box or that size box or two boxes, whatever. Then eventually they started letting you pick your stuff if you paid a certain amount or if you were grandfathered in. And okay, now they, it's like a grocery store online. The prices have gone up. It's not that cheap. You get Nabisco and Hostess and all this crap. And I'm like, wow, this was such a good idea. Mm. And you've freaking ruined it. You made it horrible. It's just like what Amazon did. It's just like, like everything else do. now. Everything else. It yeah. just became absorbed. And here's the thing. I realize what they're trying to do. They're trying to just be your online grocery store. Just like every grocery store has tried to do, just like back in the 90s or the 2000s when I was younger, there you might still see these. I think it was called Swans or Swanson. It was like a yellow truck with a blue swan on it. And they were trying to be like your grocery delivery people. So they've been trying to do this for a million mm-hmm. years. Yeah, and yeah. So what did, same thing. It goes with all the, the way back to HelloFresh or whatever. Yeah, what did Amazon tell us they were doing? Selling books. That was the whole point. It was all books. It was just about books. You could get books, and they're like, well, we'll make some digital. That'd be cool. Oh, we'll sell some of this shit. Oh, we'll sell some of that shit. Okay, now it's just like a Chinese crap market, you know, and good luck finding anything worth anything, and the prices are actually worse than in the stores. This is a known phenomenon because it's actually more expensive. So what they had to do, they just had to corner the market. You had to trick people, build it up. You got to get, if you can get enough people, the problem is you can't get enough people buying it. 
to get that stuff to be profitable. Obviously, otherwise it would have happened a long time ago because people are just like, no, just go to the store. I don't want to pay the delivery for you. I don't, you know, whatever. So that's how I feel like this company's done. They tricked us. They said, aren't you this kind of person? Don't you want to do, don't you want a good deal and to be doing a good thing? And you go, yeah, I do. So now it's gone. But so what do I do? I'm not working there. Be better if I were, because then I'd have inside knowledge. But I, I see this possibility where you're like, oh, that company's gone. So you go, is there another one? I mean, it's not gone. It's just doing this other thing now. I don't care to support them. So you go, what if they just didn't do that? What if there's a company that just didn't do it, just didn't sell out, just didn't do sure. that thing at that point? And it's like, who's going to do it? And it's like, well, I could do it. I don't want to do it. I don't even know how to do it because it's not, I don't know about logistics and farms and stuff really, you know, on that level. But if it's going to, if there's going to be one, if there's going to be that kind of thing, someone's going to have to do it. Yeah, I guess I, well, I don't know that they like, I don't feel like they tricked you or whatever. I just feel like there's a natural tendency. It's sort of like to follow the crowd or follow the trend or whatever. You know, it's like follow the. Who knows why they did it. The current, you know, go where the current takes you. I'm sure conversations like I was just having though happened in meetings, you know. Right, yeah. Well, we're missing out on this piece of the market. It's like, well, that's not part of our mission. It's exactly. like, well, it is now. Yeah. Like, we'll make it part of the mission. It's Nabisco and Hostess, but it's going to expire soon, so we're saving waste. Right. And it's like, yeah, but that wasn't the point. The point was always literally started out about local farmers, not megalithic multinational corporations that own a quarter of the freaking food market. Like, that's the literal opposite. Like, so they produce too much. Good. Throw it in the fucking garbage where it belongs, you know? Right. Well, so here's a good example, too. So I was saying, you know, like you can't turn your back on these issues because like if the corporation is going to do something bad, it's like and you just leave. Well, then it's just going to do the bad thing then or whatever. You got to stand up for yourself. And maybe you don't it doesn't result in any change. Maybe you're not able to change the organization. But I feel like you have to at least to satisfy your conscience to stand up and say what you think. I had thought about writing them a letter and being like, hey. I know people don't do this anymore, but like, what the hell? Like, this is the total opposite of what you started out as. I don't like it. Yeah. And, but I don't know if I count anymore because we started before they were in like 10 states. Now they're like a nationwide company and they probably don't even have the same leadership. Who knows? I don't know. It's probably a board of investors and all sorts of stuff. Whatever comes along with making those kinds of stupid decisions that people that had the obviously had the potential to be a change agent and do something great and then they just do something the same and it sucks and I don't like it so I think my point being that that's why I invoked the Joe Rogan idea like there is the possibility to be so like as Joe I don't know if Joe Rogan has handlers or has changed or whatever but like it doesn't appear <laughs> that he has he still says seems to be saying that I think he just has wrong opinions a lot but it he doesn't seem he doesn't seem to be placating or trying to figure out the market. He doesn't even tell you to listen. He's not trying to figure out like, oh, well, how can I, you know, what does Spotify have to do to get him to come over? They had to say, is a hundred, is a hundred million? Does that sound good? And he's like, well, I mean, for a hundred million, sure. And if it doesn't work out, I'll go back to YouTube and make a hundred million there. Like, that's just what my price tag was. And, and then he was a guy that was like, and also like, I'm, it's not a hundred million and you get to tell me what to do. It's a hundred million. And I just take my show off YouTube and I put it on Spotify and they were like, well, we don't have video, but we'll make it for you. 
and they have one podcast with one video streaming service and it's Joe Rogan and it's a hundred million dollar contract. So, well, the Spotify deal is revealing. Stick to your, stick to your guns and you might actually be able to have your cake and eat it too. Well, that's interesting point. Yeah. I think people underestimate their own potential. Um, and partly that's cultural. Like I think we, we sort of tell kids, you know, in the educational system, it's like, Hey, this is, you know, what you're going to do. This is, you know, the curriculum, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but everybody has, you know, some sort of unlimited potential in them. And it's like, you know, natural inclinations and talents and skills and whatnot. And it's like, you don't even know how crazy amazing you could do something. Like, I mean, you just look at people who, you know, live lives where they've accomplished really great things. And you're just like, I think the most startling thing to me, at least, is like a person did that, you know, like that was that was like a human being like me, like the same species, like did that thing. And that's like, can I do something like that? 